Tonight, we're going to take one more week before we resume our, our study in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going, to, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And it's a long chapter. And it's a, a pretty famous story in the Bible. It's about Daniel, his three friends, and the fiery furnace. And it's a story that actually appears, I don't know if you caught it or not, it's mentioned in the, in the, in the passage that uh, we read earlier from Hebrews chapter 11. And I want us to take time to look at this story to, to talk about the theme of faith. What does it mean to live by faith? So I'm going to read this whole story, and so it's a long one. Feel free just to either listen or you can follow along whichever one works best for you. But you can uh, sit back and listen. It's it's a good story. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors... And the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's an intense story. Uh, I want in, in Galatians chapter two, uh, the Apostle Paul he summarizes the Christian faith like this. He says, speaking of uh, personally in the first person about himself, he says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me." And gave himself for me. I wanted to take time to look at this passage, especially as we launch into a new year, to look at this idea of what does it mean to live by faith? That is a a phrase that we we throw around quite a bit in Christian circles that Christianity is we live by faith, not by sight. There are lots of cross stitches that say such things. So it's worth stopping and asking, what does it mean to live by faith 
And to do that, I, I want to look at this story from, from Daniel chapter 3 and these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who courageously defy this order of the most powerful figure in the known world at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king in Babylon. They defy him and they refuse to bow down and worship his golden image rather than displeasing their God. It's a story that I think when you read it, it's, it's an incredible story of courage, of uncompromising faith. It's a story that helps us to understand what does it mean to live by faith. And the central verses really of the, of the whole story are in verses 16 to 18, especially 17 and 18. It's the only time in the story where these three friends speak. And in those couple verses, they declare their absolute allegiance to the God of Israel and their absolute refusal to bow down and to serve any other God. It's a story that I think encourages us to live by faith no matter what the future holds. I don't, I don't know how you feel about a new year. Uh, sometimes I know people get really excited about it. Sometimes it's really hard and sad. There's all kinds of unknowns. We don't know what does this year hold. Perhaps last year was not good for you. And therefore, looking at a new year is not all that encouraging. How do you live by faith, no matter what the future holds? And I want us to look at three things in order to answer that question of how can you do that from this passage. We need three things in order to live by faith that we learn in this passage. We need to understand the character of idols. It's in verses 1 through 7. We need to serve God for his own sake. Verses 18, 8 through 18. And then we need to look for the man in the fire. We need to understand first the character of idols. We need to serve God for his own sake. And we need to look for the man in the fire. So let's first look at why do we need to, what is the issue here with we need to understand the character of idols. The story begins with King Nebuchadnezzar making this image of gold. And I think it's safe to say that there are few problems in the Bible more serious and more devastating than the problem of idolatry. Again and again, when you read through the story of the Bible, it is the reason that God's people end up being exiled. Everything goes wrong when God's people decide to serve and worship other gods. It's also why I think God in the first two commandments deal with this problem. When he tells his people, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he follows that with, you shall not make any images. Anything in all creation. The point being, God understands how our hearts work. That our fundamental weakness, ways in which we struggle the most is that we have this propensity to create other gods. It is at the fundamental heart of this passage. And therefore, if we need to, if we're going to understand how to live by faith, I think we we need to take a moment and, and reflect on what do we learn about the character of idols in our own lives from this one. Notice here with me for a moment. In verse 1, this idol is described as 
It's an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. This golden image, this, this, the, the measurement there, cubits, is not one that we are familiar with, but uh, most commentators look at that, and, and this was a statue that was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, covered in gold. In other words, this is an idol that is larger than life. And that is always true about idols in your own lives. Things that you look to to give you what only God can give you, they always take on larger-than-life proportions. They take on larger-than-life proportions to such a degree that they're the only thing that you can see. And that leads to the second part here, the characteristic of these idols. That here, they're not only do they take on larger-than-life proportions... But they hold out promises. They promise stability and peace and harmony. Look in verse 7. All of these people, again and again in in these first seven verses, we read of all of these people, all of these political rulers and leaders in Babylon coming from all these different provinces, coming together to gather. In other words, idols are always a gathering point. This, This... Idol is set up in the plain of Dura. And this word here that is translated plain describes a flat stretch of land between two mountains. So think of a uh, two, two mountain ranges that stand on either side of a vast plain. And Nebuchadnezzar set up this huge, larger-than-life image in the middle of it. And then he calls all of these people from around the kingdom of Babylon to come to see this image and to bow down to it. The point here is that an idol is a gathering point. It becomes the center of your life. It has a centrifugal force, as it were. They become the very things that our lives revolve around. They promise stability, peace, and harmony. And why does that happen? Why do do idols tend to gain that kind of access into your life, that they become the center of your life? The reason for that is because most often, idols in our lives are good things. Career, marriage, money, success, children. Idols almost always are good things in themselves. But then they become things that are ultimate for us, that we can't imagine living without. And then they take on this larger-than-life proportion. They, They promise stability and peace without which we cannot have it. And that brings us to the third characteristic of idols as we see in this story, that they demand absolute loyalty. They're tyrannical. They're oppressive. Look in verse 6. Verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. You see, the image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up demands absolute loyalty. Now, what does that mean? 
That means that idols, whether of this kind in Daniel chapter 3, or anything else that functions and serves as an idol in your life, is utterly graceless. That's probably one of the most important things for us to understand about this problem of idolatry here in this passage and throughout the Bible. They promise stability and peace, but it comes at a great cost. And there is no grace with idols. They are graceless. You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. There is no room for weakness. And therefore, they are breeding ground for fear. What happens if I lose it? What happens if I don't get it? And see, having recognized this image for what it really is, these three friends who Nebuchadnezzar, as we learn in verse 12, he himself appointed them as as over the affairs of the province in Babylon, as we read in verse 12. They are, they've discovered this. They know, okay, this is what this idol is really like. If we bow down, this is what will happen to us. And they refuse to do it. And instead of bowing down, and as a result of not doing so, they face the accusation of the Chaldeans, as or that's another term for Babylonians there in verse 8. But they also face the fury and the rage of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, how do they respond? I want to look with you at how they respond in verses 8 to 18. How they respond is very simply put, they serve God for his own sake. That's their response. They are unmoved by the conniving of the other uh, leaders who vie perhaps for their position with Nebuchadnezzar. They are unmoved by Nebuchadnezzar's threats. And how can they remain unmoved? And then the answer is they are stated Come to serve God for his own sake. Now that might seem like an obvious point until we pause, I think, for over, over verses 17 and 18 again for a moment. Look at verse 17 and 18. This is their response to King Nebuchadnezzar. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love that verse. That verse is great. I really wish that's where it stopped. (laughs) That sounds really good. But that's not where these three friends stop. And it's a good thing that they didn't. Because to to be truthful, if they stopped in verse 17, I don't think that this passage would penetrate into our hearts the way we might need it to. Because when you move on to verse 18, after they proclaim their confidence in in their God to save them from this fiery furnace, from the most powerful figure in the known world. They then say in verse 18, but if not, but if not, we will not bow down. Now, this is incredibly important for us to understand. We have to have both of those verses Together, if we're to understand what it means to live by faith. See, the reason I think that we struggle with verse 18, or at least I have struggled with verse 18, 
is that you have to admit, along with these three friends, that they might not get rescued. And if they don't get rescued, does that mean that their God is not powerful? Does that mean that Nebuchadnezzar really is the most powerful king? But see, here's what we learn from these three friends about what it means to live by faith. There's a critique here that I think is resident in all of our hearts that so often we tend to view serving God as a means of getting what we want. Rather than serving God for His own sake, just to have Him, just to get Him. This is the challenge of this passage. And it's the one that we need to reflect on and marinate on if we're to, if we're to ever live by faith like this, in the face of this kind of opposition. This kind of threat. You see, if we're honest, what we instinctively say when we relate to God is this, I will do what you want if you do what I want. But the problem is, we're still doing what God wants, not for His sake, but for our own. You see, when you discover what it means to live by faith, is that we begin to we begin to realize that to trust in Him, to experience a relationship with God means that His love, His promises, His Word is more precious to you than life itself. How do you get there? How do you get that kind of faith? Well, let me just point out these two features that we see in the faith of these three friends, and then we'll move on to how do you get this kind of faith. Notice in verse 17, these, two, these three friends, they proclaim their confidence in their God to save them, in His power. What are they, what, where does that come from? Why are they saying that? Well, these three friends, they have heard, they have read, they have been told that God has promised to establish a kingdom that could never be destroyed. Their faith is in the promises that God has made already. In what they have already heard about their God. That He rescued His people from Egypt. That He delivered them out of slavery. That He has promised to establish a kingdom through David that would last forever. And no, nothing King Nebuchadnezzar can say to them will move them off of that belief that their God is that powerful no matter what he does to them. But second, notice in verse 18, there's not only confidence in God's power, but there's total submission to his will. However it falls out, whatever God does or God doesn't do, that's living by faith. Entrusting your entire life. Entrusting your career, your marriage, your friendships, your assets. All of it to Him. Putting it utterly at His disposal to do with what He 
decides, when he decides to decides to do it, how he decides to do it. That's scary. That means you have to lose all control over your life and you have to hand it over to someone else. That's living by faith. Now, what would this look like for us in everyday life? There's a principle that the three friends here illustrate for us. And it's one that I think is very counterintuitive and one that we resist all the time. But it goes something like this. That our job in life is to do what pleases God. Whatever the cost and whatever the outcome. That your job as a follower of Jesus is to do the next right thing. And trust him with the outcome. Honestly, I live the opposite. I spend far more time and energy thinking about the outcome, how to orchestrate the outcome that I want, far more than I spend time thinking about how do I please my Heavenly Father. But that's what these three friends show us here about what it means to live by faith. And there is no doubt this is a hard thing to digest. And it should be. Because the story of the Bible the good news of the gospel, the promises of living by faith, they're, they're unequaled. It's a radical concept. There is nothing else like it. And it's astounding and it's intimidating even. And yet, living by faith means entrusting your entire life to God and submitting yourself entirely to His will. Why do we need to live by faith like this? How can you do it? You see, the reason why we need to live by faith like this is because it's the only way, it is the only kind of faith that will discover the man in the fire. Which brings us to the last section in this story. Verses 19 to 30. Here, it's after the three friends have responded to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, we're not, we're not going to bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar, if we were working through the book of Daniel, he's a megalomaniac. This guy is mad all the time, and then the next minute he thinks you're great. And here he erupts again. He's filled with fury. He heats up this fiery furnace seven times more than usual. And this is a terrifying but also exhilarating part of the story. Will God rescue these three, these three friends or not? And what I want you to see here is, if you are ever to live by faith, according to the way the Bible talks about trust, the way it talks about trusting in God, we've got to see how it is that God actually rescues See, the way that God rescues the three friends teaches us two truths about his salvation that we have to have, without which it's impossible for us to live by faith. I want you to see this here. After these three friends are thrown into the fire, bound in their clothes, Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. He sees this happen. He rises up and he says, I thought we threw three men in there. 
Not only that, I see four, and they're not bound anymore. They're dancing around, and they seem fine. Now, here's the thing about this story that I find both riveting, but also hard to take a little bit. The way God saves, the way God rescues, is He rescues us in the midst of the fire. He does not rescue us from the fire. In other words, the way that God rescues here is in the midst of the fiery furnace. Now, could He have rescued these three friends so that they didn't have to go in the furnace? Yes. But isn't there... I want you to see... What we learn about the way God rescues because he saves in the midst of the fire rather than saving them from the fire. Notice what happens here. Why does he rescue in this way? Look in verse 21 and verse 23. Describes these three friends. They're bound in their cloaks and their tunics, their hats and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. That means... If they were bound when they were thrown in, they couldn't unbind themselves. What does that piece of the story teach us? It teaches us that now when they're in the midst of the fire with the man in the fire and they're dancing around in this, what it tells us is that God alone can rescue you. God alone can rescue you. No one else can do it. They were thrown bound into the fire. But not only that, notice here too that verse 27, when it, they come out of the fire, the satraps, the prefects, the other rulers, here's what they saw. The fire had not laid any, had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. See, here is another part of how God saves. What does this tell us? That there's, there's no evidence of the flames at all on these men. What that teaches us is that these idols that Nebuchadnezzar was pushing on them, they have absolutely no power. King Nebuchadnezzar had no power at all over these three men. And their God had the power to rescue them, to save them from this fire. In the midst of this fire. Now there's a lot of speculation when you read about this passage. About who is this man in the fire. And it's a debated point uh, by commentators. Even in the story, Nebuchadnezzar, is, we, we read about this man in the fire from, from his lips. He refers to this fourth man as like the, a son of the gods. And then later in the chapter, as an angel from God. I don't want you to get hung up on that so much because really what's going on here is that it's, it's a principle we see throughout the whole Bible. It's the idea here that God is with, with his people and he will never leave them or forsake them. It's what we might call the Emmanuel principle. God is with his people. He will never leave them or forsake them. And what is veiled here in Daniel chapter 3 is with the very heart of the Christian gospel. That when Jesus, in the early chapters of Matthew, his birth is foretold that he 
will be called Emmanuel, God with us. The good news of the gospel here is not even just that Jesus comes to be with us in the fire, as it were, but he came to die for us. And you see, it's in the gospel, it's in his coming, his entering into your fire, as it were, your fiery furnace, that you begin to discover what the psalmist said in Psalm 63, that your love is better than life. See, that is the key to living by faith. Have you discovered that God's love for you is even better than life itself? If you haven't, the only place to go is back to this man in the fire. Back to Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of God with us. Because it's in Him that you discover this love that God has for sinners like you and me who find it so hard to trust, to entrust everything to Him, to live by faith as the Bible describes it. You see, this is what these three friends understood, that no matter what King Nebuchadnezzar did to them, God would be with them. Even if their lives came to an end, they knew that His promises wouldn't. Do you have that kind of freedom, that kind of confidence That kind of resolve because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has come and what he has done. Well, if you're anything like me, I really struggle with that. My guess is many of you struggle to live by faith like this too. But see, what I want you also to realize here as we close, you're not alone. You are not the only one who has struggled to live by faith like this. And in fact, Jesus himself struggled mightily to live by faith. In Mark chapter 14, the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus, in his own words, says essentially what these three friends said. He says to his Father in heaven, all things are possible for you. That's akin to these three friends. We, our God can save us. Jesus says, all things are possible for you. But then he says, not my will be done. Your will be done. He entrusts himself to his Father. What that means is, if you find it hard to live by faith, you need to run to Jesus. Because he struggled. And he struggled for you. Even to the point of dying on the cross. And rising again. So that when you find it hard to trust, no matter what the future holds, you can run to him and know that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for stories like this that teach us about the boldness and the courage that is possible when we trust you, when we experience and discover and return again and again to your love for us in Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to do that. As we launch into a new year together, we pray that you would help us to live by faith in the Son of God, no matter what the future holds.
And as a result, we would find freedom, we would find joy, we would find contentment. Even when we find ourselves thrust into the fiery furnace, we pray that you would give us the faith and the eyes to see and to find Jesus there with us. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.